Father, we thank you that we can say truly it is well with our soul because of what Christ has done. We come into your presence, some of us downhearted and discouraged, and yet because Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one who had put all of our sins on himself in the cross, and because he is raised from the dead, we can say it as well with our soul. We believe, oh God, help our unbelief. God, and we long, even with the news this week, we long, Father, that you would bring us home to heaven safely. We, we want to see you face to face. We want our faith to be sight. We want to worship you apart from sin, apart from frailty, apart from hurt. And we ask you, our, our great God, while we wait, that you would sustain us. Oh Lord, be our salvation, our rock. God, you are all those things. We know it to be true. Be it true for us. God, and as we confess you this morning, we confess you through, through our songs and, and through the preaching of your word, and we will even do it through baptism. God, we want you to be praised. We, we long for you to get the glory that's due your name. Too many things try to rob you of your glory, including us. Forgive us, O oh God. God, we confess that Jesus Christ is the only one deserving of worship. So receive our worship. God, and we, we ask that you would help us to confess you truly, just as you are. God, we need you to open our eyes and our mouths to confess you truly. So do that by your spirit, we pray. We pray that you would not do that only for us. You would also do it for churches that we know of and we minister together with in, in the Northwest. Churches like Northwest Gospel Church. We ask that you would give them grace as they minister the gospel there in Vancouver. As they too are suffering from restrictions and, and not able to meet like they would want to meet, would you unify their body in Christ Jesus? We pray for Andrew Murch. I ask that you'd give him wisdom as he oversees several campuses. God, would you give them grace as they preach your word? God, as they wait. God, we pray also for our the church that planted us, Grant Avenue Baptist Church here in Corvallis, we thank you for them. God, we ask that you'd give them strength as they proclaim the gospel. We pray for Brian and Carissa as they have had this news of their baby that will likely die. We ask that you would uphold them, give them confidence in you. And though they don't know why, give them faith to believe that you are good. We pray that you would minister to them grace, even this morning. God, as their congregation comes around them, would you lift them up? God, would you help them by the gospel and for Jesus' sake to be a testimony of your goodness through this suffering? And as Brian has said, help them as they suffer to suffer well for Christ Jesus. God, we pray also for our students 
God, those who are attending OSU and, and, and high school and elementary and junior high and middle school, we, God, we ask that you give them grace during this time as they're pressing on towards the end of the term. We pray that you would help them to be faithful in their studies, but faithful to you, God. Let them give the good confession that they know and trust you. And may your words be quick on their mouth and your gospel be clear in their lives. God, and we ask that you would meet with us this morning again. Remind us that this world is not our home, that Jesus really is Messiah and Savior, and that you would help us put our trust in him. In Christ's name, amen. I wonder who you say Jesus is. Who, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus is the most important question that you can answer right now. Is he a threat to you? To your identity? Is he a threat to your aspirations? Is he a threat to your religion? That's how the political leaders and religious leaders of his day saw him, a dangerous ideologue? Or do you see him maybe as the crowd, as a means to an end, like a superhero saving the day? He has superpowers, and they must be for you. That's how the crowd viewed him. Or maybe you don't see him as a political threat as all, but as a political leader. He, he after all, he holds all of your conservative or liberal views. He champions them. You want him to be your king, your president, casting down all your political enemies. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say he is? We've been in the book of Mark for some time now, and this is one question that Mark is answering. He answered it right from the beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this question, who is Jesus, is the very question Jesus is working up to with his disciples. We're in chapter 8 now, so you can turn in your Bibles there or scroll in your devices there. We're in chapter 8, starting verse 27 but Jesus has been leading up to this question all along. He's been with his disciples for some time now. He called them in, in chapter 1 and 2. He gathered them around him. He appointed them. And he's been discipling them. He's been teaching them as they follow him. He's been leading up to this question. And this very question, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus asked them on their travels in Caesarea Philippi. And Peter, you might not be surprised that Peter is the one that verbalizes the answer for everybody else. Peter usually has a quick answer. And as he answers the question, who is Jesus, he says this very simple sentence. You, Jesus, are the Christ. And we see uh, a parallel 
to the healing of the blind man. Do you remember the story of the blind man we talked about last week as Jesus progressively healed him? He put his eyes on him, he put his hands on his eyes and he began to see, but he didn't see clearly. And he put his hands on his eyes again and he then saw everything clearly, the text tells us. Well, I believe that this passage parallels the blind man's healing. What was a physical healing in verses 22 through 26 is now a spiritual healing in verses 27 through 30. And I just, I, 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 want, to, uh, I, I want to argue, I, I guess give an apologetic for why I see this parallelism. Give you the logic behind it all. The blind man is, is helpless to heal himself and Jesus, the healing Christ, is the only one who can make him see clearly. He, he does it in two stages, as I just said, but both touching his eyes. And what he does physically for the poor blind man, he's going to do spiritually for the poor blind disciples. And notice the parallelism, if it's up there on the, on the slide, is uh, in the circumstances. In, verses eight, in verse 22, chapter 8, verse 22, you see the circumstances both in, in verse 22 and in 27, where now Mark tells us that they are in the villages of, the, of Caesarea Philippi. The next point of parallelism in, in these passages is uh, verses 23 and 24. You see Jesus gives partial sight to the man. And in Jesus' question to the disciples, he gives partial understanding in verse 28. In verse 25, we see the man eventually healed. His sight is given to him clearly. He can see clearly now. And in verse 29, the disciples, the scales have fallen off their spiritual eyes and they have clear understanding. And then in verse 26 and, and verses 30, he gives an injunction to silence for both of them. So the first point in, in, in my arguing for this parallelism is that, uh, is, is, is that these, these passages actually go together. And one is showing a physical healing that will lead to a spiritual healing. The, the second point is that Matthew actually records this. When, when, P, when Matthew records Peter's words of his confession, Matthew says that Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Matthew's interpretation is that, uh, or Jesus tells him that this interpretation was given to Peter by his Father in heaven, God the Father. He says in Matthew 16, 16 and 17, flesh and blood, Jesus says, did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed it to you. This was a heavenly revelation Whereas the blind man would receive his sight from the Messiah's hands, the blind disciples would receive understanding from the Messiah's questions. Where the blind man was healed by a touch, Jesus will heal the disciples through questions that lead to a confession of faith. And it is these questions and answers that give structure to our passage this morning. So we're just going to look at, quickly, uh, before our baptism, at, at two points. A common confession and a disciple's confession. A common confession and a disciple's confession. Hear God's holy word from Mark 8, verse 27. 
And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is the word of the Lord. You know, and it's common, in the common confession we are about to see, uh, verses 27 and 28, you know, Mark is a master at changing settings seamlessly. Did you notice that? Just with a, just with a word that they're now in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, reminding us that, that Mark is talking about a, a, a Jesus, a, a man, a teacher, who's moving quickly, Right? He's immediately going here and immediately going there. And, and this, this one who's a teacher is, is not served by others, but he's the servant of all. Jesus is the, is the one who is a king, but he is a suffering king. He is the servant. And while Jesus has his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and while they're just walking on the way, Jesus asks them questions. He, he's probing their hearts to see where, where they're at. He's doing it in just a, an almost what seems like an offhand manner, just as they're walking, just taking a walk together through the villages. And they're doing this on the pagan outposts of Caesarea Philippi. It is here at the, at the edge of the land of Israel one commentator says, where, where Baal is still worshipped through, through, the, through the god Pan. This Pan was a half goat and half man, and he was the overseer of, of the flocks uh, and the countryside. And in those outer regions, I'm still quoting here, of, of paganism and hostility to Judaism is where Jesus is first proclaimed Messiah. So they're very far north, as far north as you can go and still be in Israel. They're in Caesarea Philippi. They're in those villages where, they, where they're still worshiping other gods. And it's there where Jesus probes the disciples. He's, he's laying his hands on their spiritual eyes, and he's asking them questions. And as they're going along, you notice this, this is just as they're going along the way. This is, this is how discipleship works. Remember in Deuteronomy when God told the children of Israel how they're supposed to teach their children as they lie down and as they rise up and as they are along the way. And here is Jesus discipling his friends. And he asks them a question. And he says, who do people say that I am? Jesus is not, he doesn't ask this question because he's a narcissist and he needs to know what everyone's thinking about him and he needs to be, you know, he needs to have his ego built up. Jesus was teaching the disciples through inquiry. This is the first stage of their healing, the healing, their, his blind followers. And he's asking them, I said it already, he's asking them the most significant question in the universe. God in the flesh, friends, came down and he's walking with men. 
And he's asking them who Jesus is. Jesus is probing them. He's asking them. He's putting his hands on their, phys- on their spiritual eyes and he's asking them what's going on. What do, who do they understand him to be? And maybe that's you this morning. No matter where you are, you're, you, maybe you're not quite sure who you think Jesus is. Maybe you're like one of those... You know, either the crowd or the religious leaders or the disciples themselves who are confused and you're just not really sure. I encourage you to read one of the Gospels. The Gospel Mark is very helpful as he walks through quickly. Who is he? And they've been with Jesus for some time now, haven't they? They've seen the miracles he's done. They've seen the power that he has. And they've heard the authority that he has in his teaching. Who could this be? Who is Jesus? But he asked, who do the people say? As a way to get to the question he's going to ask. And the answer is, Jesus is a prophet. Maybe that's who you think Jesus is. A good man. A prophet. He has good teachings. The most ethical person ever to live. The the kindest person ever to live. That's who Jesus is. They said, you know, the people say, and this is, we've heard this before. Remember when Herod was about to behead John, uh, or after he beheaded John the Baptist, he said, John the Baptist is raised from the dead and he's coming back to haunt me. And people were saying the same thing about Jesus. He's John the Baptist, raised from the dead. He's revived. Others said he's Elijah. Remember Elijah was taken up to heaven without dying? Elijah, this prophet who worked many, many miracles in, in God's uh, land, in, amongst God's people, was taken up to heaven. Maybe, he, maybe that Jesus is this one, because they had heard the, the prophecies, the prophecies that were Elijah was going to come back. In Malachi, it, it says that Elijah will return, and when he does, he will, he will prepare the way for the Christ. And others said... Well, he's just one of the prophets. He's one of the prophets in a long line of prophets. He's just one of them. Friends, they, the people wanted someone to fill their bellies and defeat their political enemies. And maybe you have a misrepresentation of who Jesus is too. Maybe you don't think anything positive about him at all. Maybe you think only negative things about Jesus and that he's a, is a hateful person bringing judgment. Jesus, Mark, is, wants to correct our understanding of who Jesus is by asking us these questions. Do you think he's a prophet? Do you think he's a really good guy? Do you, do you think he's a, your co-pilot? Do you think he just coexists with all of your other gods? That's essentially what this answer was. It was a failure to recognize the uniqueness of who Jesus is. Totally God. He's fully God and fully man. Truly God, truly man. But the people, you know, maybe like some of us, they long for a leader like Moses and they thought they had found him in Jesus. Jesus, however, was greater than Moses. That's what the scriptures tell us. 
The, the prophets and Moses prophesied of him. They, they prophesied of this one who was to come. So he must have been greater than the prophets. John the Baptist was just a forerunner to Jesus. John himself, that was his own self-identification. I'm just here preparing the way. There's going to come one that I am not even worthy to untie his shoe. Elijah, too, he was a forerunner of Messiah. And now Messiah is here. I don't know what you're looking for, but Jesus is much greater than anything you can imagine. You want him as a prophet. He's greater than a prophet. You want him as a friend. Oh, he's a friend, but he's way more than a friend. Jesus is the Messiah. N.T. Wright says this, if you want a good picture of how Jesus appeared to his contemporaries, forget the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and read the stories of John the Baptist, Elijah, and the other great prophets. Who were they? Fearless men of God who spoke out against evil and injustice and brought hope to God's puzzled and suffering people. This, this was the comparison. He's a prophet. He's like these men, and he's going to bring hope to us. But how is he going to bring it? That's the question. Is he going to do it politically? Is he going to do it, uh, is he going to bring a kingdom he here and, and overtake the Romans? Is, is he going to set up a kingdom here through all of his miracles and feeding us bread and healing our sick and raising the dead? Is Jesus a prophet? a good person, a moral example for you? Or is he someone who is anointed by God to rule over everything and the way he's going to rule is through suffering? The common confession, he's a prophet. He is a prophet. The disciples' confession, though, as we move into verse 29, Jesus begins to personalize the question, who do you say that I am? He's moved from who do other people say that I am to who do you say that I am? That's the question every evangelistic encounter is about. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus' question was meant to evoke faith. The, the prophet designation didn't go far enough. So what was more? What more needed to be said? And Jesus is, again, he's, he's putting his hands on their spiritual eyes one more time. They, they see, but they see men walking like trees. And now he's putting his hands on them again with this question, and he's, he's healing them. And Peter gives the right answer. Truly, it is said, Jesus says that, Blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, for you. This has been revealed to you by your Father. And he says, You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one of God. And the answer shows that they had their eyes opened. Peter, Peter was just a representative for the whole. They, they all believed this, excluding maybe even Judas believed this to some extent. 
but he was answering for the twelve. The answer shows that their eyes were being opened and they began to understand the signs. The, the, the bread. Remember, it said their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand about the bread. Now they're starting to understand. They're just beginning to understand. The bread was saying Jesus is the Messiah. Everything came into perspective. You ever been in a, you know, having your eyes checked and they go back and forth. What's better, one or two, one or two, three or four? Yeah, it's like that. Except it's like whenever I see it, there's always still a little bit blurry. But with, with him, it's, it's like, is it a prophet or Messiah? They, and it's Messiah, and they see perfectly clear. He's the Messiah. He's the one. You're the one, Jesus. You're the one that's going to save us. The answer brings us back to Mark 1.1. Do you remember at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, what Mark says? And by the way, just as a little bit of an aside, we're pretty hard on the disciples, right? I know I am. Like, you guys should have gotten this already. Jesus has to keep telling you and telling you. But we need to remember that what we get of Jesus has been narrated to us, right? It's like, uh, it's like the Princess Bride movie, right? The kid is upset with, with uh, the characters in the Princess Bride movie. He knew it was going to happen. It was being narrated to him. And we're like that with the disciples. They don't get it. You guys don't get it. What's your problem? You're so dense. And yet, just at one, chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in eight chapters, he's revealed him as the Son of God. How many times in these eight chapters have you been confused? We know the end of the story. We need to give the disciples a little bit of a break. But here it was. It's Mark is taking us back to 1-1. One, one. This is the gospel about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a, is a designation. That Jesus is, a, is an anointed one of God. Christ means anointed or chosen for a specific purpose. Now, I said they, they saw clearly now. And it is true that they did in, in this respect. Excuse me. And yet there were still misunderstandings because there were several strands of Messiahship. Beliefs about who Messiah was and what he would do what he was bringing, what he actually was bringing. No, Messiah, the word Messiah, anointing, it had, this, it had this understanding of oil being poured over the head as a sign of an anointing over someone and a, a be, someone being chosen by God. So you can remember Old Testament passages where this happened. And this happened with prophets, priests, and kings who were anointed and chosen by God. And uh, a, a very popular understanding was that Jesus was a prophet, like we just said. You remember in John 6, that John's understanding of the feeding of the 5,000, in John's retelling of that story, they said, this is, is this not the prophet that was promised to us? And priests as well, they were anointed and set aside for, for uh, God's chosen purposes, and kings were also anointed. They were chosen, right? Like David, king. And this was the most popular of all. 
during Jesus' time is that a political ruler, being Messiah, was being a political ruler, a king like David who would come and defeat all of the enemies and set up a, a, a physical kingdom there in the land of Israel. And, and, and this is partly what the disciples understood about Messiah. And this is partly what, uh, actually this is probably fully what the crowd believed about Messiah. And, and while, they're, while they were seeing clearly for the first time, there was still a little bit of haze. But Jesus is the Christ. He is the king because God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. You remember in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, when he was baptized, who descended on him like a dove? The Holy Spirit. And throughout all of his ministry, he went in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38, our dear apostle Peter, he says the very same thing, that Jesus was appointed an appointed agent of God. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was the anointed one. He definitely was the Messiah. But was he a king like they thought? Did he come to set up a political rule? Did he come to set up a kingdom like they wanted him to rule physically over them? No, Jesus, and, and Davy will preach on this next week, Lord willing, but Jesus came as a suffering king. He came as a king who would take on the sins of the world. He wasn't setting up a, a rule like Caesar. He, he wasn't setting up a, a rule uh, like the kings of the day or the kings of old. He was setting up a rule over the hearts. And one commentator says it like this, Peter's confession recognized that Jesus was the appointed agent of God whose coming marks the fulfillment of the divine promise and the realization of all of Israel's hopes. And yet, he did not fully comprehend the deeper and more costly dimensions of messiahship which was to go to the cross and take the wrath of God for your sin and for mine. He would take the full wrath of God in those hours on the cross. And the wave after wave of, of suffering would come upon him. And he would pronounce, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, he meant that the salvation for his people, this was what Messiah came to do to take the sins of the world. And Messiah did not stay in the grave. He rose from the grave, and he is alive even today, ascended to the right hand of the Father. This is what Peter did not fully recognize. This is what the disciples did not fully recognize. Do you? This was Messiah's work. And we get all caught up, especially in a, in a political season, an election year, with, uh, with being confused about what it means to, to be a Christian and vote a certain way. Jesus came to establish his kingdom, not by the sword and not by government, but through the proclamation of the gospel and in a good confession. And this is what he's calling forth from his people right now. He's calling forth a confession. Who do you believe 
Jesus is. Who do you believe he is? What does what your life testify to? Does your life testify to the confession you make with your mouth? Who is Jesus? He's calling you to confess him as the Messiah, as Lord of all. In a few moments, we're, we'll, be, uh, we'll be having, Caleb will plunge into the waters of baptism. And, and the waters of baptism, one of the things that baptism does is a confession. Caleb is going to be confessing in a visible display that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. We'll have him say it with his mouth, and then he'll be plunged in the waters of baptism, and he'll be buried just like Jesus was buried, and he'll be raised again like Jesus. In, in Jesus' resurrection, he, he was raised, and so we'll picture that in the waters of baptism. And even as you hear the, the water drops falling back into the tub, you should be reminded that your sins were falling off onto Jesus. Every part of baptism is to remind us this good confession actually plunges us into the life of Jesus, the life of the Messiah. And as you see this, you should ask yourself, who do I say Jesus is? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we, we cannot have this confession on our own. You alone can heal our blinded eyes. You, oh God, you alone can, can heal our broken hearts, our misunderstandings about who you are. God, even in this time, we're so confused of, even with the, the restrictions coming in and, and the seasons that we're in, God, we get so confused about what you're up to and what you're doing. Help us to remember what you have done. Help us to remember that in Christ, we are fully accepted and loved. God, I pray that you would be honored as we, as we confess our sins to you, and, and understand that you have been uh, the one, the only one who has forgiven us. God, I pray that you would help us to confess you freely and truly. And God, I, I ask that though we believe, we ask that you would help our unbelief and clear our eyes. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.